0: Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 36. If you're using the, the Black Bibles, it's on page 1034. When, uh, when our daughter, Ilona, was in middle school... Uh, She woke up one Saturday morning uh, and had quite a scare. Uh, And she came down and shared with us uh, her startling start to her Saturday morning. She knew that she had, she knew that it was daytime just by the amount of rest that she had. You know, you know how like when you wake up, you can tell you've slept in today. So she knew that was true. But when she opened her eyes, she had gone blind. She opened her eyes. She could not see a thing. And so just started, as you might in middle school, started to panic a little bit, started to get a little worried and scared. Uh, And then the blanket slid off of her face. (laughs) Totally true story. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why we might not be able to see. Uh, maybe there's no light, or the lighting is bad, or there's something hiding the light. Uh, but usually, often when you can establish that, no, the lighting is fine and you still can't see, you, you kind of have to come to the realization that, like, well, maybe there's something... Blocking my eyes, maybe there's something internal, maybe there's something going on with my eyesight. Last week after Jesus cast out a demon, uh, many of the people, after he cast out a demon, were saying things like, you know, we just need a sign. Could you just show us a sign that, that you came from God? And... Jesus' Jesus's basic, his essential response was, um, dude, open your eyes. Uh, Now that's sort of the, that's the literal Greek translation. He said, dude, open your eyes. But, uh, so let's see, he unpacks that a little bit more in this passage. He goes back to those who are constantly looking for signs in Luke chapter 11. But before we even get to that answer... Uh, there's a woman who who calls out a blessing on Jesus. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Luke 11, beginning in verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness." If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So before we get too far into... um, seeking signs or lacking light, we have to kind of understand this sort of intro section, this this blessing, and being blessed, and who's blessed, and is Jesus chastising her? Is he correcting her? You know, Luke, more than any other gospel writer, is very intentional, well, intentional about including the women who followed Jesus, women who were disciples of Jesus, and and he and he tells us about their following of Jesus and how many times they cared for Jesus and for his his twelve closest disciples. This woman here is a follower of Jesus. She sees the, she sees the power and the authority of Jesus's actions. She hears the power and authority with which Jesus speaks and she responds with a blessing. Now granted a blessing that let's be honest only a woman would offer. Like no no child is going to say what she said unless they want to get smacked by their mother. Like this is a blessing that only a mother, probably even more only a grandmother would offer. Blessed is the womb That birthed you and the breasts at which you nursed. That's sort of an interesting blessing. Like, basically what she's saying is how blessed it must have been or must be to be your mother. Like, if her her son is there, you know it's one of those backhanded insults of her own son blessings. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a son like that? Uh, But it's more of a... It is a true blessing on the mother of Jesus. And before we give the woman a hard time or assume that Jesus is is, uh, correcting or chastising her, remember that in Luke 1, Mary sings that all generations will call me blessed. And this woman If you go before Mary's song, we've realized this woman is the second woman to call Mary blessed. Elizabeth, just before that song, says, blessed is Mary. And how blessed that, how am I allowed to to meet, to be with the mother of my Savior? And so it's not that it's a bad blessing, but Jesus, Jesus is rather, when he says rather, it's more of a yes, but. It's not a you're wrong, it's a sure, but that's a singular one-person blessing. How much better those that hear the Word of God and keep it? That's the true blessing. Certainly, there's a blessing in Mary's relationship with Jesus as mother to son But there's a greater blessing, a greater blessing that even Mary received in her relationship with Jesus as sinner to Savior. And to to paraphrase Augustine, it's one thing, it's one blessing to conceive a son. It's another blessing entirely to receive a Savior. And this is... Jesus's point that, uh, yes, you are blessed by your relationship with Jesus. And that the blessing that is available to all sinners is the greatest blessing, that you would hear God's word and keep it. And so Jesus says this, this is the blessing that we should be uh, proclaiming from the rooftops. And so moving on from there, Jesus kind of turns back to address those crowd, the people in the crowd that are looking for signs. You know, in Ecclesiastes 12, uh, the preacher bemoans, uh, "Of the writing of many books, there is no end." And I think if we could borrow his phrasing, we might have to say, "Of the seeking of many signs, there is no end." Jesus says this is an evil generation. Now, is he saying that the people born in his time in first century Palestine, uh, that they were a particularly evil people? Uh, I don't think he's speaking this generation in a strict uh, chronology or time period statement. It's more like when we say, oh, he's a child of the 60s. Oh, she's a child of the 60s. Now, all right, I realize like half of you are like, the when? But it used to be that when you called someone a child of the 60s, you weren't talking about when their birth date was. You were talking about a certain type of person. They, now we just call them crunchy. Like they would have been, you know, they're, they might have had a very loose relationship with hygiene. Uh, they had bell bottoms and flowery shirts. And the shirts were always open very low, on the guys at least. And the hair was teased out, again, on the guys at least. Uh, But there is a certain type of people that you'd say they were from the generation of the 60s. And this is what he's saying, this generation, this this constantly looking for signs, constantly needing the next sign. It reminded me of uh, the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. And how Gideon, you know, the angel of the Lord comes to speak to him. He's like, well, I need a sign. And so he gives him a sign. He's like, well, I need another sign. So he gives him another sign. He says, well, I need the opposite sign of that sign. So he gives him the opposite sign of that. Like everything in Gideon's life is like, I just need just a little more proof, just a little more proof. And that, that sense of like, yes, I'm more than happy to follow God if he would just prove himself. Just prove himself one more time. Just give me a sign. Jesus says, there will be no sign. There is no sign left except the sign of Jonah. He says, just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, the Son of Man will be a sign to this generation. Now, what is the sign of Jonah? What is he talking about here? Uh, Some would say that what he's speaking of here is that Jonah preached... And the people repented. Uh, And that's, and he comes back to talk about that a little bit here. But I don't know, I don't know if that's the sign of Jonah, because sign literally is miracle. Like it's the sign, this miraculous thing associated with Jonah. And in the book of Matthew, uh, this particular conversation is unpacked more because Jesus actually goes on and explains. He says, "Just as uh, Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man uh, will it be in the grave for three days and three nights in the in the heart of the earth." You know, some of the language gives us a clue to that. He says, "Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites." He says here, the Son of Man will be, it's a future tense. The Son of Man will be a sign to this generation. It's not a stretch to think that way because, like, we who are so far removed from the Old Testament, like, when you say Jonah, we all think of the same thing, don't we? Like, we all think of here's this prophet, this. Reluctant, disobedient prophet, God says, get up and go, and Jonah gets up and goes in the opposite direction. And in, in discipline for his sin, Jonah is thrown into the sea, swallowed by a giant fish, and then three days later, barfed back up onto dry land. Jesus is saying, similar to that, Jonah being assigned to the Ninevites, the Son of Man will be assigned to this generation. Jonah despised his call. Jesus embraced his call. Jonah disobeyed the Father in heaven when he called him to go. Jesus willingly went, fully obeyed the Father in heaven. Jonah was brought to the brink of death because of his own sin. Jesus was brought to death, not for his own sin, but for our sin. And only after Jonah's miraculous salvation is he even then willing to still reluctantly preach repentance For sin. Jesus, knowing he was marching to death, all of his ministry preached repentance for sin. The Ninevites repented. And how many of that generation did not? This is his point. This is why he brings up, the Queen of the South and and the Ninevites of Jonah's time. First, he speaks of the Queen of the South. By the way, another reason why you can't just throw away the Old Testament and think, well, I'm a Christian, all I need is the New Testament. Like, Queen of the South means nothing without the Old Testament. This is referring to a time in Solomon's life. David's son, who became king after David, Solomon, who asked the Lord for wisdom when he could have asked for anything. He could have asked for wealth or long life or safety or peace, but he asked for wisdom. He said, who is, who is up to shepherding such a great people as this? I need wisdom from God. And so God grants him that. And because he looks for that, God grants him wealth as well. And his wealth, the wealth of Israel at the time, and the wisdom of Solomon grew in such reputation that that the queen of the area that is now Yemen, the queen of Sheba, travels with an entourage to come and witness, to behold the wealth of Solomon and the wisdom of Solomon. And it's, we're told in 1 Kings that every question she asked, Solomon was able to answer. And, and in the end, we're told that she praised Solomon the Lord God. She praised Yahweh God. She worshiped God after seeing the wealth and wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus says she will rise up and condemn this generation because there is one, there's something greater than than Solomon right now. There's something greater than the wealth of Solomon. The, The wealth of Solomon compared to the creator and sustainer and owner of all that is and was and will be. I'd say that's, that's pretty wealthy. The wisdom of Solomon in comparison to the one who's called the wisdom of God himself. The very word of God. The Ninevites repented when an angry, spiteful, racist prophet reluctantly preached and his sermon was not a you better get right before you get left his sermon was in 40 days god's turning all of this to ashes let's pray and then they repented and they repented they heard the words of the prophet and and repented immediately Here is Jesus. He comes with compassion and love and patience and kindness. He comes pursuing and seeking those who are lost. He says, listen, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. I came so that you might have life. So that you would be delivered from darkness. And the people refused to listen. Why? Why? Well, the short answer is because they just couldn't see. Or maybe more accurately, they just wouldn't see. According to John 1, Jesus is the light that has come into the world. So how is it that they can't see? Was there something lacking in Jesus' light? No. No. Was it hidden? Did he hide who he was? No. Especially at this point in his ministry where he has at least once already told his disciples, this is the reason I've come. I'm going to be arrested, beaten, crucified, and die, and on the third day I'll rise. His light was not hidden at all. Now the problem was their eyesight They refused to see. Your eye is the lamp of your body, Jesus says. When when your eye is healthy, you can see light. And when your eye can see light, your whole body is in the light. When your eye can't see the light, when your eye is darkness, your whole body is dark. Like, we know that. We know this is true. Like, it doesn't matter if all the lights are on in here. If you blindfold me, I'm going to... stumble around here and I'm going to, the light doesn't help at all if I refuse to see the light, if I have my eyes closed. And I know some of us, some of us pray that way, don't we? Like we pray, God, I just wish you would show me, like just, just show me, just show me if this is what you want me to do. Just, I wish you would just show me, just show me. Uh, This is how Amy and I prayed, by the way, about whether we should plant a church. We were like, if you want us to plant a church, you just show us. You just put it right in front of our eyes and we will see it. You show. You show it is is I don't think you're putting it there yet. And because we just thought there's no way. There's no way. That's not in us. We don't that's frightening. Which it turns out was the accurate response to have to, "Hey, should you go start a church?" It's like, "Sure, I could do that." No. 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 When you can't see the light, it doesn't matter how bright the light is. This is John's point in John 3. When he's talking about, you know, the Son of God, the only begotten, who came so that so that we could have life, so that in his light we would see life. And John says, now here's the verdict. Here's the trouble. The people prefer the darkness because their deeds are evil. We don't necessarily want the light. I mean, Jesus says right here, you know, when you get even just a little bit of light, it dispels all the darkness. Sometimes I think we want little compartments of our hearts to have a little bit of darkness still. I mean, you can have like the main areas, but maybe if I could just hold on to some of this darkness, that would be all right. And Jesus says, that's not, that's not how light works. Light dispels all darkness. Like all of this is available to all, to each one of us. The blessing of the relationship That was the truest blessing for Mary, that she had heard the word of God and kept it. The sign that Christ died to save sinners was raised from the dead the third day. That Christ would die a sinner's death so that I could live clothed in his righteousness. Like this is a thing that like like you can't make that up. That has to come from God. That's not that doesn't make sense that Christ would defeat sin and death on our behalf and be raised now. That he is the light that shines into the darkness of our hearts and into the darkness of this world. All of these things are the things that we celebrate at the table that we are blessed because of our relationship with Christ, that we are all on equal footing, every one of us. We're sinners saved by grace. It's a sign. It's a sign and a seal. It's a reminder that Christ died to save us from our sins. It's both a reminder that my sin was so bad that Jesus had to die in order for it to be taken care of. And it's a sign that Christ's love, God's love, was so great that Jesus willingly died to take care of my sin. That it's taken care of. It's finished. We eat and drink and we preach the gospel. We preach, we proclaim the Lord's death to ourselves and to each other. As we come to the table, we see the light of Christ that dispels the darkness in our own hearts, that shines out of us, Christ's light shining out of us. He says, You now are the light of the world. How insane is that? We are the light of the world to attract people to Christ now. We are God's children. Saved by his grace. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your salvation. Thank you for the blessing that is available to all who would hear your word and receive it. That you are the sign of the love of God that God loved the world so much that He sent His Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but live eternally. Thank You for the light of Your Gospel. Thank You for the light of Christ. Forgive us for the many ways that we prefer darkness over light. Continue to feed us, continue to pursue us, to continue to wash us. In Jesus' name, amen.